Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Community Church. Um, my name is Jim Oflito, and this is our cell group. <laughs> my, wife Brenda, my wife Brenda and I lead this uh, cell group with um, Joe Kiefer, who's probably outside in the parking lot waving to people. Um, we, we meet um, at our house most of the times, unless uh, Bruce has firewood to burn, and then we get to go over to the Truxell's house and have s'mores while we're having cell group. Uh, we meet on Tuesdays uh, from 6.30 to 8.30 most um, weeks. Uh, the second Sunday of the month, we meet, um, uh, we meet on the Sunday. And uh, um, we've been together for a while now, and we have a great group. If you are interested, um, you can go to mylcc.info and go to groups, and uh, you can find the information for our group, the Afflito cell group. Um, and uh, we would like to have you come and, and check us out. Uh, now I'd like to introduce uh, Mike Miller. Mike is our coach, and he's gonna pray over us. Thanks, Jim. This is a great cell group. If you, so if you're looking for a cell group, this is a cool one to be in. But um, it's just, they're just really an encouraging group, and they really love each other, and you can really see that when you go to their group. But I'd just like to pray for them, and if you just join me. Lord God, we just thank you uh, that you have called us to be together as a family, uh, that that's your design for the church. And I thank you for this group. I thank you for um, the Afflitos leading it. I, I just pray that you'd pour out your spirit into them and um, give them wisdom and just give them real love. And uh, thank you for the love that these people have for each other and uh, for the way that you're using them to further the gospel. Uh, and pray that uh, they would reach the community that they live in, uh, that they work in, uh, that they fellowship in. And you, Holy Spirit, just touch them and use them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, you all can stand up. We're going to sing in just a second. Uh, but we serve a God uh, who loves us very much. Amen. And one of the ways that we know that he loves us is because he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Can we say amen to that as well? All right, let's sing this out together. Amen. We love singing that song with you all. And if you haven't quite figured it out yet here at LCC, uh, God has been doing some great work uh, in our body. And we have been singing bilingually for, I think, about two and a half years now. Uh, and that is still one of my favorite songs because as somebody who is not a uh, Spanish first language person, also I speak English as my first language, that song is, that song is easy for, for, for me to sing and probably for a lot of you to sing amen. And it is good for us to worship not in just the same language but in all of our languages it's good for us to join together with one voice and praise the name of our God. Amen. We want to take some time right now, and there's not going to be any, any music or anything like that, but we're, we're going to take some time to have some guided prayer. So what that's going to look like is I'm going to give you guys a couple of things to pray for, and in between each of those, I'm going to give you about a minute to pray to yourself. We don't need to break out into groups or anything like that, but just to pray to yourself, to God, just let it be a moment between you and him about some of those things. So the first thing that we want to pray for this morning is going to be just our contentment uh, as we are 
not in our home building at 4,400. You know, we are very thankful, just so incredibly thankful and grateful for RELC for letting us use their main auditorium. This is, this is usually where meet, they meet. They're meeting in their, their other chapel. Um, but even amongst the, the feelings of thankfulness and gratefulness, sometimes we feel heartache creep in and, and we can miss what feels like our home over at 4,400. So while we're here, we want to pray for contentment for the things that God is doing, that he has done, and he will continue to do as we meet in this building. So we're going to give you about a minute to pray over that, and then I'm going to close this in that prayer, and then we'll move on. We want to thank you for these moments in our lives where we can stand together and we can be still and we can be in awe of you. God, help us to slow down in our weeks. Help us to have times like this outside of just Sunday mornings. God, we are truly grateful and thankful for the ways that RELC has provided for us, the ways that you have provided for us. God, open our eyes to the ways that you are providing today, tomorrow, and the months to come. And help us to find contentment in you and not in the location that we're meeting in. Amen. Next, uh, we want to give you guys some time to pray for this holiday season because for a lot of people, when we get into the months of October, November, December, January, uh, it can be exciting. You know, we've got Thanksgiving, we've got Christmas, New Year's, a lot of things. But for a lot of us, uh, it can be really hard. Sometimes these holidays bring up uh, feelings of grief. Sometimes our, our finances are, are pushed to their limits. Sometimes we feel alone. And so we just want to pray for not just our body, but for the city of Hilliard as we go into this holiday season, God. That those who don't have are comforted, that they are, their needs are met that we can be a light into the city. Let's pray over that. Lord, we thank you for we thank you for the changing of seasons. We thank you that in Ohio we get to experience every season, maybe some more than others, maybe some more than we'd like. But God, we thank you for a time.
time to be thankful. We thank you for sending your son to live on this earth for us. We thank you that we are able to celebrate that, not just as a church body, but as a nation. But God, we're also thankful that you have made us aware that there are needs during these months. God, seasonal depression is a real thing. Feeling hopeless, feeling lost, feeling alone, grieving the loss of someone. God, help us to be aware of the people, not just in our bodies, but in our families, the people that we see at work. Help us to be a light for you. Help us to be loving and caring. Amen. Lastly, our nation uh, honored our veterans yesterday, and so we want to take a minute and just thank God for the many men and women who have served uh, in, our armed force, in our armed forces. So we'll give you some time to pray for them. We just sang the lyrics, for you so loved the world that you gave your only son. Jesus, you gave your life for us. And you've said that there is no greater love when someone lays down their life for another. We thank you for the men and the women who have served, many who have given their lives for this country and for the freedoms that we we celebrate every single day. Help us to not take that for granted. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. It's good, uh, it's good praying, and I'm going to go off script, uh, which is always a gamble with me. Um, but you don't need to raise your hand. I'm going to raise my hand. Uh, that was really good, what we just did just standing still together and praying. Um, and I know that I, I need that more in my life throughout the week. Um, and if you're feeling the same way, if you're finding that you don't get enough time in your week to just be still and to stand in awe and to pray to God, feel free to come tell me after the service. I'd love to pray for you and have you pray for me as well because I think that that's so important that we do that. It's so important for us to understand that our worship is more than a song. That being said, we are going to continue singing. In <laughs> uh, the next couple of songs, we want to just put our attention on the cross. Jesus' love for us and his goodness and his faithfulness toward us. So we want to invite you to sing along with us this morning. Oh, is it on now? Okay. Good, good, good. It's good to be with you. I am Dan. I'm the lead pastor. I saw a lot of new faces out there today. I just want to say welcome to Life Community. We want to welcome you as a family into our family today and would love to meet you after the service too. Um, before I start today, I'm just going to go a little bit with the spirit here because I feel like what we're going to talk about today is pretty significant, especially if you are in a place where you feel like you're underwater, right? 
that your your things are are really difficult right now. You're trying to figure out how to how to to keep the right things in place, to keep the things that matter the most in place. Um, I think this question we're going to look at with Jesus today is one that's significant. Um, so I'm just going to pause for just a moment and give us a, a moment of silence, just to kind of surrender and and just say to God, we want to hear you today. So let's do that. Okay, I want to take you back to 1989 with me. The 80s, honestly, if you were born after the 80s, I'm so sorry because you missed the greatest decade. Summer of 1989, I, was worked all, I had worked all summer with, with six of my best friends, and we were going to head to Daytona Beach after the summer to go stay with a relative of one of the people. And the plan was set. We had it all set out. Um, I, we needed two cars. We, I had my dad's Ford Tempo. Um, I and another friend had a truck. We had everything set. And then the night before this, this thing happens, this snag happens where uh, the truck fell through and we're down to one car. And I remember I went in and talked to my dad about it and he said, well, son, you're, you're going to have to cut somebody out of the trip. What? Yeah, I don't want you taking six people in my Ford Tempo. Okay. You're going to have to cut some people out. That car holds like four people. Great. This is a great, great way to start the trip, right? I get to tell somebody that they're not going, and then I get to think about it all week while I'm at the beach. Great. So I fretted about that. I didn't sleep very well that night. The next morning, got up, and you know what happened? All six of us left in my Ford Tempo to go to Florida. And I can confirm that the Ford Tempo was meant for four people. Uh, we stuffed into that car. It was very uncomfortable. But you know what? We had the greatest week ever together. It was fantastic. Of course, I had to face some consequences in that. Because my dad asked me later, Dan, I know that was a hard decision. I know that was hard, but who did you end up cutting out? Hmm. Well, uh... Do you know the Ford Temple actually holds six people? And it was miserable, but we made it down there. That was not fun. Here's the thing. I, we did. We had the greatest week ever. Um, but it came at a cost, right? It came at a cost because I lost something with my dad, right? Trust. And I lost something in here, too, when I made that decision to, to do that. I made an exchange. I, I wanted that thing, and I got it, but I made an exchange. It was a trade-off that happened. And as we start today, just to say this, there's exchanges that we make all the time. We make decisions about, about time. We make them about our, our resources, um, about where we invest in relationships. And, and that comes at sometimes a trade-off. There's an exchange that happens. And it's an exchange that impacts us. We don't often make the connections in it because we usually, you know, we'll make the decision and we just think, we don't think about where it's leading and how it's going to impact who we are. So we might get done with an evening, uh, worked uh, during the day and we might go 
and turn on the TV. We might stream a show and then maybe some more and some more. And we don't think about the fact that there is a trade-off happening. Whether good or bad doing that, there's a trade-off that happens. Um, we see exchanges come in, in different forms. Sometimes in, in the most extreme form, we see the person who's pursued money their whole life, and it kind of shipwrecks their family. It shipwrecks their faith. We, we see people who pursue careers and work to the extent of that's all they care about, and it affects the core of who they are, right? Uh, they, sometimes they, they're just different, the, the way they treat people. There's, a, there's a, something rotting inside because of a decision to just be a, a workaholic, right? Today we're continuing to look at, at the questions that, that Jesus asked in the book of Matthew. And, and this is a question he asked his followers in Matthew 26, 16. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So Jesus is talking about some kind of exchange here, right? What benefit is it if someone gets everything they want, but they forfeit, they give up their soul? That word for soul is suke in the Greek. And it's often translated as soul or life. In fact, you're going to see it translated as both in the passage we're going to look at today. And when Jesus used that word, that, that word suke, he was referring to the entirety of who we are, from our breath uh, to our soul, to the physical, the immaterial, to where our emotions are, to our essence, who we are, our core, our beliefs, our entire being. What good will it be for someone to, to gain the whole world, yet forfeit, forfeit who they are, forfeit the condition of who they are, the condition of their soul? So let me catch you up with where we are in Matthew 16. If you want to follow along in your Bible, it's Matthew 16. We're going to start at verse 21. And Jesus and his disciples, particularly Peter, have had this crazy, pivotal moment. Armando talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus, they're hanging out. Jesus says, listen, people are saying things about me. Who do you say I am? And Peter steps up in this defining moment and says, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the, you're the son of God. And Jesus just commends Peter. He says, man, God has made that truth known to you. You are blessed because you know that. He goes on to call Peter this rock. And he says that Peter's going to be foundational to the start of the church. And, and from this point, from when Peter makes that declaration, this brings a turning point in Jesus' mission. All right? So we're going to start in verse 21. And it says, it starts out, from that time on. That's significant. From that time on. So, so this is a point, a turning point. It's the point of no return because Jesus is moving towards the conclusion of his mission, why he came. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay, we know, we know that this is about the cross. We know that at the cross, Jesus is going to make an exchange. He's going to empty himself. He's going to suffer and be killed to save us from our sin. We know that. He's going to redeem everything that was lost in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. He's going to redeem it. He's going to make it possible for us to be right with God. There's an exchange that's going to happen. His life so that we can have life. Then, don't miss this, at the end... 
He says he's going to be raised. He says he's going to be raised. So this is the turning point. He's on mission. He's serious about what he's going to accomplish. Now, Peter has some feelings about this. And in verse 22, Peter takes him aside. There's this side conversation that happens between he and Peter. And Peter says, he rebukes him and says, never, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And his reaction is strong. It's almost like he's saying, God forbid that that would happen, Lord. That, that cannot happen. And immediately Jesus turns to Peter, verse 23, and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So in that private exchange that happens, Peter, who was just called the rock, is now called a stumbling block. That's a pretty quick turnaround, isn't it? It's a pretty quick turnaround. But what Peter puts forth when he says, never, Lord, that should not happen, Jesus actually connects that with Satan. All right? Does that seem harsh? That's harsh, isn't it? Well, we got to go back to, to earlier in Matthew. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's in the wilderness. He's, he's being tempted by Satan. And Satan offers this, this um, way to circumvent the mission, right, to go around it. And he offers this, this, this tempting thing. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world now if, if you'll worship me. And Jesus says, no. He says, away from me, Satan. I only worship one. And what Peter is doing here in, in Matthew 16 is, in some ways, he's mirroring Satan in this. He's offering a, a, play, a way to circumvent the mission. It's not going to happen that way. It's not going to happen by the cross and suffering. That's what Peter's saying. And Peter, along with most of the Jews, actually... They didn't understand and they didn't embrace the fact that the, the Messiah was meant to suffer. That was part of the deal. The prophets had talked about that. Isaiah had talked about that. And Peter was claiming here that he, he had just called Jesus the Messiah, but he knows a better way. I got, I got a better way. And he's offering an exchange. Like, instead of your death plan, Jesus, there's something else. There's got to be. And Jesus says, no way. Now, I love Peter. I think... I think I can relate to Peter a lot um, in just what he does and what he says. And you're going to see him make a series of decisions from this point on that are going to affect who he is, who Peter is, the, the nature of who he is, his soul. And let's be honest, at the heart of his rebuking Jesus was really human concerns. Because Peter had invested in this. Peter had had. He doesn't want to lose his friend. He doesn't want to lose this dynamic that they have together. It's not a good exchange for him. He thinks it's not a good exchange. But he doesn't know that Jesus actually not doing what he said would lead to the forfeiture of his own forgiveness and for the forgiveness of the whole world. See, he doesn't see the whole picture. He's short-sighted. He's fixed on the now, and the now is suffering and death, and he doesn't want that. So much so that he doesn't even see the end of the verse earlier that said, but then he would be raised. He would be raised. He skipped right over that. 
And this is just a fact. That, you know, we talk about the deepest pains that happen in our life. We don't understand what's going on. Why is this happening? I was talking with somebody yesterday about this. Why is it happening? And the fact is we're short-sighted. We cannot begin to understand what God is doing. And in this case, if you put yourself in Peter's shoes, it's, I know I would, would have probably been like, no, no. But Jesus says, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then he goes on to say, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, this is changing here. This is no longer the private discussion. This is now he's brought all the disciples into this. Whoever wants to be my disciple. And let's just stop there. My disciple. We have now over 2,000 years of commentary on what it means to be a disciple. And Jesus is going to spell it out right here. So it's important we listen to this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That calling comes out of a conversation that he just had with Peter about choosing God's concerns over human concerns, right? So we think about disciples of the cross, people who are disciples of Jesus. They think the concerns of God first. They think the concerns of God first. They deny themselves. They take up the cross. They take up suffering. And they follow. They follow Jesus. And this is in contrast to a disciple of the world who thinks human concerns. Right? A disciple of the world who, and this is implied, it indulges the self, chooses comfort, lives for themselves, directs their own lives. Now, denying yourself, right? Denying yourself is not fundamentally about you saying, I'm not going to have dessert. I'm not going to watch this show. Oh, that could be part of it. But what denying yourself means, it involves in denying your authority over your own life. A disciple denies their own authority over their own life. Taking up your cross refers to suffering. Following Jesus is going to require suffering. Peter was learning that. He would learn that. In fact, later on, he'd, he'd write to followers of Jesus later in his life. In 1 Peter, he'd say, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So it's not like we're just going out looking for suffering. But when you follow the way of Jesus, there will be suffering. Suffering for doing his way, for doing good. Now, Peter wrote that later, but right now, in terms of denying himself, if you look at what's about to happen, he's going to, in the garden, right, he's going to take up authority. He's going to cut off the ear of the servant. He's going to take matters into his own hands. In terms of suffering, he's going to run away from it with the rest of the disciples when Jesus is arrested. In terms of following Jesus, what's going to happen? We know this. He abandons Jesus. He denies him. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus goes on. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, 
but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We're back to that word suke. We're back to translated life, translated soul, and to another exchange here. Because what Jesus is essentially saying in this is this. Whoever wants to be in the driver's seat of their own life, preserving and pouring into their self, oh, you may get some things now. You may get some, some pleasure. You may get some material things, but you will end up losing. Losing what? Suke. Who you are. The entirety of, of your being, the con- including the condition of your soul. There's an emptiness that comes when you live the self-directed life. But, but, whoever chooses to empty themselves, Jesus says, to be my disciple, will find suke, will find life, will gain in the core of who they are, the condition of their soul. It's an exchange that's happening. And this exchange is so much more, we cannot limit this just to saying a simple prayer and, and choosing to follow Jesus to begin with, right? Though it includes that. This is about, and in the context of being a disciple, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and about the condition of our souls. And hear this, this is really important to understand because Peter had this moment of declaration This is who you are, God, but he followed it up with kind of a self-directed path, how he wanted to see things go. He didn't want to face what came along with that, and that affected, that would affect, you'll see it, if you keep reading in the Gospels, you'll see it affect his soul. And let me clarify here, because this is nothing we could do could earn God's forgiveness. This isn't about being forgiven. Only Jesus' sacrifice can make us right with God. Only Jesus, through him, do we have eternal life. But here, Jesus is revealing he's into more than just making people who just say a prayer, than just saving people. He's into making disciples. He wants to take those who believe and partner with them to advance what he came so passionately to do, which was to save the world because his concerns didn't end at the cross or the resurrection. He cares now that people hear and know and find life in him. So if you, if you don't know Jesus today, this applies to you. If you're choosing a self-directed life, it will result and losing your soul. And for the person who has Jesus Christ, who follows Jesus Christ, you're still making an exchange in how you live that will affect the condition of who you are. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So every decision that we make is an exchange, every single one. And Paul was trying to end the New Testament race, we're trying to get us to understand, listen, you, you live, live a life that, go into strict training, realize that these connections that are happening. So then, if it is true that pursuing 
a, a self-directed life, right, results in d- the deterioration of our soul. To that, then, Jesus says this. If that's the case, then what good will it be for someone to gain the world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So what benefit is it if you live a self-directed life, right, without the concerns of God, you just do your own thing, if you get everything you want, if you get your dreams realized, if you get your, the career you want and your purse is full and you have your family or you have your sexual desires fulfilled, whatever it is, fill in the blank. What benefit is all of that if you get it but the condition of your soul is deteriorated? So let's, let's talk about uh, just a, an example here. And I'm going to narrow in on money here, but you can put anything in here, okay? In Luke 12, Jesus tells this story. He tells a story about a rich man who, who he's, got, he's really lucky. He's got this land that just produces like crazy. And he fills like the barns with, with this, you know, produce. And he gets to the point where he's like, what should I do now? I filled all my barns. So he, he tears them down and he builds bigger barns. And he starts filling them up. And then he gets to this point where he's like, I don't know if I can build anymore. He says, okay, I think I have all I need. I'm going to take my life easy. I'm just going to do what's self-serving. Drink, eat, be merry. And God says to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? That's how it is. That's how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. You see, read reading this, there's a condition in the rich man's soul that's happening. There's a, there's a rotting that goes beyond having what he needs. He wants more and more and excess and excess. And that's what, what, what happens when we pour our lives into something other than Jesus Christ. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. So there's you can have, you can gather so much and have that be such a focus that it affects the condition of who you are, that it harms you. And that's why Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You're either going to hate one and love the other or be devoted one and despise the other. You can't serve God and fill in the blank. And in, in 1 Timothy, Paul kind of says, I've seen this happen, okay? He says, listen, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people in here in my, my uh, who I'm writing to here have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, there's an exchange that happens. There's an exchange. But you, man of God, flee from all this. So decisions to choose the flesh, they, they, may, they may bring you something now. They may bring you some good feelings now, but they result in staggering loss. Decisions to follow Jesus may result in loss in some of those things. But staggering, staggering gain. And for those who follow Jesus, we have the privilege of abiding with him and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the joy of Christ 
in our lives. I, I remember early on in the life of our church, we, um, there was a couple. And one was, a un, one was a believing spouse. The other was an unbelieving spouse. And um, you know that the, the believing spouse was praying for, for the unbelieving spouse to follow Jesus. And God did great work. Uh, that person came to faith. This was the answer to prayers. And, and the unbelieving spouse not only believed, but they began to grow, and they wanted Jesus more and more to become a disciple. And in their new faith, they were beginning to, to make decisions, to deny themselves, to take up their cross, to follow Jesus, until something unexpected happened. That believing spouse, who had prayed so desperately, said, hold on. Not too much. So starting to infringe on my life, you following Jesus. Starting to infringe on my comfort, my priorities. And this was the problem of Peter here that we see in this passage. Listen, I want you to believe. I want you to follow Jesus, but let's not get carried away. Let's not get carried away with this Jesus stuff, right? That is a, a worldly belief. That's belief without discipleship, which honestly in the New Testament is inconceivable. So can I just say this? If you experience your spouse or your family member or somebody in your group listening to God, trying to be a disciple, and they start to choose a path that maybe even brings some suffering, do not be a stumbling block. Do not try to take the suffering away from them because it may, maybe makes you feel better. Get out of the way. Encourage them. Come alongside them and know that it may cost you. You know, there's sometimes when our groups, even here, are together for a while, and then somebody might feel called to go to another group and to lead another group. And what's the reaction when you hear that? I know I've had it. Oh, no, no, no. We've got this thing going here. We've got this group, and it's, I like it. I've, it's comfortable. It's, it's the way it should it should be. You can't disrupt that. And we got to choose the other path, right? We got to say, God is leading you. God is directing you to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow him in this way. We want to encourage you in that. So what does it look like to live that kind of life? What does that look like? How do we do that? How do we put God's concerns first? You may be thinking that. You may be like, this is hard to balance that. How do you do that? What does that look like? Well, just staying on, on what we've been talking about, money and career kinds of things. In James, James talks about, in James 4, he says, listen, instead of your own plan to go make money, to set your career, what you're going to do, why not say, God, what do you want? What is your will? Where are you leading? You know, as disciples, we're not called to ignore human concerns. We're called to elevate the concerns of God above those human concerns. Let's talk about relationships. You know, in, in, in 1 John, John tells us to love each other. And he goes on to say, if anyone hates a brother or sister, it's like they're a murderer. Ooh, What? And you know that no murderer has eternal life, this quality of eternal life, the eternal living in them. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life 
So the message here is, listen, you, you can continue to, if, if there's a conflict with another person, another brother or sister, you can continue to put up walls. You can continue to live that way. You can t- continue to hold on to how right you are and maybe how you've been wronged. But what benefit is it if you gain everything and yet the condition of your soul is affected? Because if you stay hating your brother or your sister, there will be a, an effect on your soul. There will be an, a deterioration in your soul. That's why John says, "Don't we're not called to live like that. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. And listen to this, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life, is peace. Those are Strong things to think about. So what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Jesus goes on, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they've done. This is not the only place that talks about rewards. Um, In fact, there's, there's all kinds of rewards If you want to do a study, we don't have time to talk about it this morning. But um, it's clear, man. Jesus wants us to think about the future. He wants us to know that that rewards are real. And he wants us to be motivated by rewards. He wants us to think, and that's what disciples do of Jesus, to think about the eternal. To think about rewards. And when does the eternal start? It starts when you believe in Jesus. It starts right now. So we want eternal life, the eternal things to be residing in us. Okay, I'm going to invite the band up, but a couple questions as they come up for us to think about. One, what's worth more? What is worth more than the condition of your life, of your soul? What's worth more? And just a quick review. Exchanges are happening all the time. They have an impact on your soul. So be careful. Choosing the way of the world can seem harmless, but it leads to soul deterioration. Just like when I chose to take the car and stuff six people into it to go to Florida, right? It had an effect on me. And I just want to ask you, if you thought about, maybe you've got career decisions coming up. Maybe you've got money decisions coming up. Have you thought about, have you made the connection? Because that's, that's some of our problem. Have you made the connection to what those decisions will do to the quality of your soul? Right? Have you, have you thought about that? And when you think about the things that you let into your life, you know, we, we, we harp a lot around here on the phones, but, but, you know, society is catching up more and more about the damaging effects because we look at it and we think, nothing's happening. It's harmless. I'm just on my phone, right? And then it becomes longer and longer. It's addictive. 
and it's resulting. There is an exchange happening when you pick up your phone. I try to think about that. Now, when I look, when I see my phone, I'm making an exchange here. I need to think about that. We think about things like pornography. Are you making the connection that what you take in has an effect on the quality of your soul? And maybe you're in a place right now where your soul is deteriorated because of some of these things. And you need to repent and you need a renewal in your life that can only come from you surrendering, from God doing his work. Parents, have you thought about the exchanges you're making? And we listen, we want our kids to have everything, don't we? Some of us grew up with less and we want our kids to have everything. But have we thought about, have we connected what it means for them to have everything? What it does not only to us as parents, but to the condition of their soul and their relationship with Jesus. Have we thought about it? Have we made those connections? Another question to unpack. If we know that whoever is in the driver's seat has an impact on our soul, if we know that, then who's driving? Whose concerns are first? And I'll tell you, this is heavy stuff. I know it is because it it confronts where we are and how we're living our life. But I want to show you God's grace in this because in Peter's life, Peter did not have this together and he's going to fall again and again. And Jesus loves Peter. There's going to be setbacks along the way, man. He's going to, pretty soon he's going to have arguments about who's greatest in the kingdom, right? He's going to exclude Gentiles. He's going to try and keep people out. And yet he grew to deny himself. He chose the path of suffering to death. His life is like an example to us that we have not arrived, that we've got to ask these questions over and over again. Because discipleship, following Jesus, is a daily, moment-by-moment decision. And know this, God loves you. He died for you, and he cares about the condition of your soul. He came to bring life and life to the fullest. It's a different kind of life. It's called Zoe life. That's a Greek. It's a different kind of life. Life that is abundant. Life that is full. So can I suggest a path for us that isn't just avoiding earthly things? It's not just that. How about we turn it upside down and we replace the empty, soulless kinds of things that we do with the eternal. As Paul said, we set our minds on things above. What if we invested there in the things that bring life? What if we set our minds there? What if we lived according to what the Spirit wanted? Imagine it. you got to dream a little bit about this. What if God, through you, reached that neighbor that you've been avoiding, right? And he changed their eternity. What if that person you know that is, is struggling financially you gave them a gift, and it brought hope to their hearts to be cared for in that kind of way. What if that person in your group who is lonely, who feels left out, you invited them over, you included them, and you brought life and hope to them through that? What if you love that person that has anxiety? You met them where they're at. What if, what if your marriage could be reignited by you pouring into it instead of waiting for the other person? To move. 
that you made a move? What if you love that person who has it in for you at work, who frustrates you? What if you love them and God used that to change their lives? What if that kid that everyone seems to be avoiding felt the love of Jesus through your words and your presence? What if that person who doesn't speak your language, you, you invited them in and they felt the welcoming arms of Jesus around them? What if, what if your kids had a revival in their life because they saw you authentically loving Jesus from your heart, choosing his concerns over your own? Maybe that's even today taking the day of rest that God wants us to take, the Sabbath. What if they saw you living that out? Imagine the return on investment by investing in eternal kinds of things, not only for what God could do, but for what it does for your soul, how it impacts the quality of your soul. Don't stop dreaming. Don't stop dreaming. You know, in this pandemic, we've turned somewhat inward, right? Because that time was a time for many of us of self-preservation, of protection, of isolation, and it's hard to get out of that kind of life. For some of us, we kind of like it. And we've developed some new, new ways to stay isolated and to keep people away. But what's happening to our soul What's happening to our soul? Jesus came to save you and to form you into a disciple. And if you're wondering where to begin with all this, this is, uh, some of this is reprioritizing things, which we have to do because our human nature will take us away from God. We have to come back and reprioritize. And if you want a simple way to do this, take out an empty sheet of paper. Start with what Jesus said and build your life around that instead of taking all your human concerns and then trying to stuff Jesus in somewhere in that. He made an exchange. He suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He came to give you life to the fullest he emptied himself. He made himself nothing, Philippians said, so that you could have this life. So I just want to say it. If you feel like I'm living, I'm living with a depleted soul, I'm living for the wrong things, that can change. That can change. But it's going to take it's going to take you, it's going to take the Lord, and it's going to take others around you to reprioritize and to put Jesus where he belongs in your life and to be a disciple rather than just, I've got to get out of hell free card, right? Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Jesus, sometimes you, you just penetrate with your questions. They invade our life, and sometimes, honestly, we don't like that because it confronts some of the things we hold on to dearly, some of the security 
blankets in our life. And yet, your voice speaks to where life is found. And we can see it all around us in our world. We can see the desperation. We can see the loneliness. We can see the lack of life. We can see death. But you shine in the light. You've come to present another way. So God, by your spirit today, you know each of our hearts, and would you just speak? Would you just speak? Speak to us, speak through others. And we want to be disciples in this crazy, messed up place, this world. We want to be your disciples. We want to live eternal life now. And we pray all these things in the powerful, life-giving name of Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love that you surround us with and give us. I pray that we remember that calling to be your disciples, to, to take up your cross and know and have faith that you're going to give us the strength and the tools that we need pray that we go out this week and live that out in our lives. Amen. Amen. It's been so good being with you all this morning. <coughs> wow. Thank you for joining us. Um, just before you go, there's a couple of things that we want to let you know that's happening around here. Uh, tonight at 5 p.m., there is a charity concert that RELC is putting on in this room. Uh, and they actually invited a couple of uh, the LCC worship team members to be a part of it. Uh, so we want to invite you. It's going to be great. It'll be about an hour of music involving strings, orchestra. Uh, it'll be really, really cool. Hope to see you there. Um, and also we want to remind you to go on to milecc.info and sign up for those potluck parties that are happening this week. Uh, we'll see you in your cell groups and have a great Sunday.